Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Supermates Husband and Wife Geekcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Cindy. And I'm tired. <laughs> Me too. Me we, too. We've been really busy lately, um, you know, and, and it's all been fun uh, on the podcasting end. I mean, of course, in life we've been busy too. It's end of school year. Our kids have 10 million events that are going on. And, and then I'm gearing up for summer reading at the library, so I'm busier now than I am at any other time of the year. Right, and we're eyeing vacation just on the podcasting front, you know, we've had several guests here lately. We had Gene Hendricks, mm-hmm. and we had Kyle Benning, mm-hmm. uh, and actually, I was on, you know, Gene was here, uh, we talked about the Wonder Woman TV pilot with Kathy Lee Crosby, right? and then I was on Gene's Legends of the Superhero show, where we talked about the Red Brown Captain America movies. Yeah, I opted out of that one. <laughs> Yeah. So that episode's actually out. I had a blast doing that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and so you can check that out. That's on the Two True Freaks Network under the Hammer Podcast uh, feed. So definitely check that out. Also, you, we ran a trailer a while back. Ryan Daly, who uh, has the Flowers and Fishnets Black Canary blog and podcast, is going to be launching a Secret Origins podcast based on the 80s series. Uh, and he was nice enough to ask me to come by on a few episodes, and I've actually recorded two of those, mm-hmm. including the first one. Uh, so probably he said he was launching that in June, so it shouldn't be too long after this one drops that that one will be out. So check that out. That was a lot of fun, and we're definitely going to have Ryan on our show at some point in the future. Keep an eye ear out for him. And just most recently, I was asked to be on one of my favorite shows, Back to the Bins. Uh, Paul Spataro mm-hmm. asked me to, to drop by, and I was on there with Chris the Hair Metal Hero, Tyler, and Professor Allen of the Quarter Bend Podcast, Relatively Geeky Network, and uh, we had a lot of fun there, so definitely check that out, and of course... And I'm on there with a couple pithy comments, because yeah, I couldn't help myself, Cindy, but I wasn't on there on Yeah, there. Cindy, Cindy floated in and out of the show a couple times, made a few pithy comments, but they said they wanted to get you on there, uh, so in the future we'll have to go on there together. Uh, that show's just just a lot of fun. I got to do my Arnold Schwarzenegger lies and all that stuff, uh, which you have to do. Um, and of course, we dropped the the Flash mini, mini episode, mini episode talking about based on the season finale, right? So we've just been really busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, we did. We did get to see Avengers: Age of Ultron. Uh, I saw it twice. Me and Andrew saw it twice, and we saw it all as a family once. And everybody else has already done an Age of Ultron episode. We, oh, yeah. We're we, gonna, we, you we, know. we just never got a chance. It, with everything going on, we never got a chance to work one in. We really liked it. We we loved it. We had a great time with it. Uh, the verdict's still out for me. I think, actually, I probably do like the story of this one better than the first one. But, you know, the, the sheer wow factor of seeing everybody together for the first time, you know, is there with the first one, too. So I don't know. I have to watch them back-to-back to really mm-hmm. say. But... I didn't see where there was any slip in quality from the first one to this one. Mm. 
So, um, you know, I know everybody that's listening to this has already seen it at least once. Uh, but needless to say, thumbs up on all the way around for our bunch. So, so because we are tired and worn out, and <laughs> <laughs> we thought we'd take it easy this time. It's like, hey, let's do another Starman episode, right? Exactly. Uh, because that's kind of our fallback. Because we do definitely want to cover the Starman series. Uh, we covered that a few episodes back. If you haven't listened to that one, I can't think of the episode number off the top of my head, that, which one it was. like 27 or 8. Uh, like let's let, let me look real quick. Episode number 27. You were close. So that was uh, the Starman Chronicles Part 1. That covered the first four issues, 0 through 3, because it was a zero-hour launch book. Uh, so this time, we're going to be covering issues 4 through 6, mm-hmm. which are all standalone stories. And... Uh, so, you want to just get right into it? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, just in case you missed it and you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to episode 27. But if you press for time and want to listen to this one first, uh, we'll give you a, a very brief synopsis of the general elevator view of the series. Uh, this was, this is, I kind of wrote this to be kind of like the old, you know, rocketed from the Doom Planet Krypton thing that gotcha. you used to get. Yeah. In the Golden Age, amateur astronomer Ted Knight developed a device that harnessed stellar energy. He used that device, eventually dubbed a cosmic rod, to battle crime in Opal City and beyond as Starman. Decades later, an aged Ted handed the mantle to his eldest son, David, who was murdered shortly thereafter. It then fell upon the youngest son, Jack Knight, to take up the rod and forge his own destiny as his own brand of Starman. And before we go any further, let's just get out of the way. Cosmic Rod. You know, snicker, whatever yes. you want to do. Juvenile snickers. I can't help it. My <laughs> mind's in the gutter every time. You know, he takes up the rod. I mean, come on. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm trying to move past it. But what else do you want to? I mean, we have to call it what it is. I mean, it's like calling. You know, you don't call Green Lantern's power ring something else. Did you so so just make? Oh my gosh, you just made the Porky's joke, didn't you? What? Let's call it a tallywacker. <laughs> I don't think I did, but now that you said it, I did. <laughs> oh. Well, we were talking about Red Brown, and Rob called him a side of beef, and then there was meat in the Porky's movie. But anyway, you know, anyway we digress. <laughs> we anyway, digress. Continue. So we're going to start with Starman number four, which was dated February 1995. On sale date, December 20th, 1994, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Of course, the painted cover is by Tony Harris. It shows Jack Knight with his leather jacket in hand. He's kneeling on a rooftop with Opal City behind him. One thing you really can tell on the on on this cover is Jack has a tattoo on his left shoulder, and the initials of Tony Harris are there. I mean, it's a T and an H, like sideways, upside mm-hmm. down, and uh, that actually will become his signature later on. Um, I don't know if that was kind of a signature of him, and he waited till he got more famous before he started using it, or gotcha. or what? But he but he did. So the story of this one is called "A Day in the Opal." Writer James Robinson, penciler Tony Harris, inker Wade von Grawbadger, letterer John Workman, colorist Gregory Wright, assistant editor Chuck Kim, and editor was Archie Goodwin. <laughs> begins with another story. In 1931, a madman named Harry Ajax mysteriously appeared on a Hawaiian beach. Claiming to be a mysticist and an artist, he was accepted by the native people 
and flourish in their community, finding his calling in designing beautiful Hawaiian shirts. In 1933, he announced plans to combine his arcane skills with his art and design a shirt with the gateway to heaven on its back. Harry Ajax began and finished his masterpiece in one day and was never seen or heard from again. In the Swiss Alps of the present, multi-billionaire Albert Becker confers with a hired associate named Sands. Becker has been chasing Ajax's magical shirt for years, and he thinks he may have tracked it to America to a place called... Opal City. In the Opal, Jack Knight, aka Starman, is more concerned with getting his antique collectible shop reopened than flying around with a cosmic rod. While Jack brokers some deals over the phone, a woman is attacked in the tunnels district of Opal. Not by a man, but by a poster. The dragon demon on the poster comes to life and the woman is absorbed into the poster, which is taken away by a mysterious bald and bearded man. Jack looks over his new cosmic rod, created by his father Ted with his input. He is startled into defensive mode by an unexpected visitor, the Shade. The man in black, not Johnny Cash, comes to ask Jack if he'd ever believed that he'd lived a past life, specifically that of a lawman in the late 1800s, a white man raised by Native Americans. Jack does admit to having a recurring dream where he is a Napoleonic spy, but doesn't put much stock into it. The Shade believes Jack to be the hero the city has needed for a long time, its greatest hero since that lawman died, even greater than Jack's father Ted. The Shade requests that Jack begin reading his series of journals that the immortal began in the previous century, and produces the first volume from his shadow self. Jack grows irritated at the thought that everyone seems to know him better than he knows himself. The Shade then produces the object he picked up while stopping the missed men at the Opal Museum a few issues back, the dedication plaque of the Adele Doris Nightwing of the museum. In exchange for his mother's plaque, Jack agrees to read the journals. Jack spends the following day making deals and trying to find a new shop front. Back at home, Jack is again surprised, this time at gunpoint by Sands. The hired gun tells Jack of the shirt he is after. While Jack small talks about a pile of shirts he recently received, he manages to grab his cosmic rod and the two men are now in a standoff. Even with its potential mystical powers, Jack isn't interested in the gateway to heaven or the shirt, but he's not going to be robbed in his own home. Sands offers to buy the shirt and Jack agrees, but he doesn't even want to see what the shirt looks like. The next day, Jack calls his dad who explains that now that Jack has taken the Starman mantle, he can't avoid the weirdness. It'll find him anyway. Sands delivers the shirt to an ecstatic Becker. Sands leaves the man alone with his prize. Albert Becker is never seen or heard from again. So that was a, an interesting issue. Mm -hmm. That really showed how quirky this series is. How many? There's no way that a comic like that now would, would, fly. would fly. One, it's a trade breaker. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I mean, it'd be, it'd slip in the cracks of a trade. I mean, they might throw it in at the end of the first trade or something like that. Maybe they did, because I know the Starman series was collected, but that was before they were really writing for the trade so much. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of funny because I wasn't really sure. They, they Robinson and Harris do such a good job with Harry Ajax. I kind of thought maybe he was a famous Hawaiian shirt artist. Right. They made him up. Oh. <laughs> I mean, because they really make you think, mm -hmm. because they do weave in real life characters, as we'll see in the last story. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, that we're going to cover tonight. 
uh, I kind of thought, well, maybe he's a real, real, he's the real deal, you know, but no, he's made up. So <laughs> it's kind of weird that uh, Sands has an interesting pair of sunglasses. They flip up and they have like a triangular uh, pattern on them. It's kind of strange because we just had Kyle, the, the Mist's son, in the we previous also arc. had a similar kind of Distinctive glasses, set of yeah. shades. Plus, you know, Jack's got the goggles, so it's mm-hmm. kind of kind of weird. It's like everybody's got some kind of, you know, smoky eyewear in this title or something. Of course, I think one of the main reasons for this story was it fleshes out Opal City that much more. And as we talked about before, Opal City... Is a character unto itself. Right. It's probably the best developed comic book city up to that point. I mean, yes, you can say Gotham. Uh, you know, they, they gave Gotham, you know, a character. It had districts and stuff. But nobody followed it. You know, it's like this writer would come up with this section of the city. And then another writer would come in with a similar section with a different name. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow it that closely. The Superman books in the in the, the Triangle Years when they had the under Mike Carlin and you know, it was basically a weekly comic. Mm -hmm. They, they did a pretty good job of fleshing out the different areas of Metropolis, but it didn't have a a distinct personality like Opal city does. Like you said, it's, it's definitely a character in the book. I thought it was funny. Jack talks to a dealer about Pez dispensers and he's asking for like, do you got any of the universal monsters, you know, Wolfman, Frankenstein. And, and the guy's like, you've got turtles. Turtles, yeah, Ninja, yeah, Ninja yeah. Turtles. It's like I can go to the Wiki Mart and get Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Yeah, <laughs> and now I'll probably those those Ninja Turtles are probably worth something the original ones. Yeah, true. But it's kind of funny. In fact, uh, you know, in, in two pages, talk about fleshing things out. We see the woman that is abducted into the poster, and Robinson gives her a complete backstory. You know what's going on with her and. I mean, that's, that just goes to show that, I mean, this is not going to pay off for a long time. No, I book. mean, it's like a year later at yeah. least. Yeah. yeah, the poster thing is a, is a thread that, that'll come back up here and there, but you won't, it won't have a resolution for a long time. So, I mean, that's how far ahead these guys were planning. That's just, I mean, you know, I feel like we're always griping about the way comics are now, but considering that. There's a new status quo every six months nowadays. Oh, yeah, exactly. It, it just, you know, it, it, you just don't get this type of stuff anymore. There's also two whole pages that's just the spread that's that just details the sights and the sounds of, of Opal City. You know, again, that's, like we said. And unlike Conrad in Into the Heart of Darkness, or The Heart of Darkness, do you remember that book, reading that book when we were in high school? Yeah. He went on for 20 pages detailing about its dark and damp we got it right they actually these people the creative team behind this comic give you the whole sense they set the scene and they do it well and they do it within two pages right you know and it is actually gives you great detail yeah i'm sorry i hate that book yeah i remember that to any Conrad lovers out there, I'm sorry, but... Is that where he's no. going down the river in the jungle? Yes. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, that was oh. that was torture. It was. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Anyway. Uh, um. So, also in this issue, Jack gets his distinctive cosmic rod, uh, the one with the arrow-shaped head. The design will change just a little over time. It'll, the, the top of it gets a little bit bigger looking. But other than that, it's pretty much the same version that 
we see Stargirl with today, or at least the last time I checked. I don't know what she's got in New 52, but she, right. you know, she carries it. The Shade comes in, and uh, of course they have a little bit of a standoff at first. But he picks up a wind-up pirate on Jack's shelf and winds it up. And then, you know, Jack picks it up while they're talking. And this is foreshadowing of a future storyline as well. Right. So, lots of, you know. No spoilers. No spoilers. No. I know. Then you've got just a page where, you know, Jack's... Yeah, it's a day in the life. Right, exactly. Which is pretty much the... The, the title of the story. He haggles with another dealer. He's looking for girly mags. He gets some work done on a tattoo, and he visits his old destroyed storefront, which he says was a bad idea. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the best part of this issue is here you got a, a, a gunman and Jack in the standoff in his apartment, and there's never a shot fired. Mm-mm. He's just like, I don't want it. And it's like, well, can I buy it from you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, how many superhero comics... In yeah, like I, I the, mean, it, it's one of those cases where, you know, you know, I, I can kind of see that, but, it, you know, uh, then the other part of me is like, well... This guy's got an Uzi or whatever he's got in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> These Jack's just going to let him walk out. This guy that's crazy enough to, you know, pull a gun on... Yeah, he's got like a, a small Uzi. He's, he's, he's crazy enough to pull a gun on a guy over a Hawaiian shirt. Right. But Jack's going to let him walk out. Yeah, you know. But, you know, Jack, he said... In in the when he when, in the last part of the first story, he's like, "I'm not going on patrol. I'm not doing that type of stuff. When they need, when the city needs me, I'll, I'll be Star Man. But you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not, he's not gonna be. He's gonna be a reactive superhero, mm-hmm. not a proactive, proactive superhero. Yeah. Uh, which you know, like we said, he's forging his own brand of Star Man, definitely. But he never, you never see him fly. He never fires a rod at, at, throughout this whole issue. So. I mean, it just again. This is this is this is Starman. This is why it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, like we said, this is this is showing you how quirky this this book can be. And uh, I think with this this issue really kind of set the tone because you never know in the first story arc how things are going to go. Right. You know, I mean, after that, it's like are things going to always be like this, or is that just the initial the origin story? You know. Mm-hmm. So this kind of set the template for the the series really. Got anything else on this one? No, no. I mean, that's the thing. Each of these comics, they're all great, but there's they kind of are what they are, mm-hmm. and you know, they're they're. I mean, we've got things to say about them, but there's not a lot to say about them. That but really... the series as a whole, right, right, or, but the, the, or each story arc as a whole. But the but, but they're important. These these all three of these issues are important because. They set things up for later. Well, and this one kind of sets the tone for the whole series. The next issue sets up one aspect of the series that everybody remembers. And then the next issue sets up another aspect of the series mm-hmm. that everybody always remembers. So it's kind of in the long term, they they will mean more than they do right now. Right. But we don't want to spoil ahead. So, so, I know. So let's take a quick break. We'll run somebody's trailer. I don't know which one, but we'll run one. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about Starman number five. Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines in unarmed combat forms. Her canary cry, when properly focused, is powerful 
powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. Okay, we're back, and as promised, we're going to talk about Starman number five, which was dated March 1995, on sale January 24th, 1995. The cover, again, is is by Harris, and it shows Jack battling with his dead brother, David, in a cemetery. David is clad in the classic Starman costume with the cowl pulled back, and only he is in color. The rest of the image is grayscale. It's very striking, and that costume really just pops mm-hmm. off there. It's like... Christmas, bam, you know, <laughs> red, green, and yellow. Talking with David 95 was by the same creative team as the previous issue. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Jack Knight finds himself wandering through a cemetery. He hears a voice call out to him and is shocked to find that it is David, his dead brother, the star man before him. Jack, of course, questions how any of this is possible, but David refuses to tell him how and why the two of them are able to meet and converse. He does say that Jack is not dead and they are not in heaven, but not much else. In a childlike fashion, he tells Jack that he won't tell them the hows and the whys. Because. Right. David then tackles his brother, and a fight begins. The two slug it out and then pull out their cosmic rods and begin blasting at each other with abandon. Jack body checks his brother into a tombstone, and David's body turns into that of a decayed corpse, much to Jack's horror. But David was pulling a fast one and resumes his hale and hearty form before headbutting his brother. Then the night boys realize that they have destroyed and desecrated the cemetery. Finding some shovels, they repair the damage they've caused to the cemetery and to one another. Both get to say things that they never did while David was living, and Jack tells his brother how he misses him and he's sorry he died. David tells Jack of how he envied him being his own man, forging his own path by taking after their mother, while David sought to copy their father to the letter. David departs but tells Jack they will meet again next year in a different venue. Jack thinks, that'll be nice. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. This is one of the more famous issues of the series because, not spoiling too much ahead, but yeah, they do meet. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do meet again and again. And again, this is another one. The payoff is a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's it's a definite standout. The, the artwork in this one, I mean, you really noticed how Tony Harris's art has progressed mm-hmm. in just six issues, counting zero. I mean, you can really tell in the black and white how much it has evolved and changed. I mean, the faces, the acting. Yeah, I mean, you know, people always talk about Kevin McGuire that did the uh, Justice League, the Wahaha oh, Justice League. Okay. You know, you do all the smirky faces, mm-hmm. and and but I think Tony Harris is right up there with him. I mean, he can he can convey emotion on a face. You know, very few can do do that as well as he does. 
And you get a lot of that here. I mean, you 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 get them. I mean, like when they they're looking at each other after they beat the crap out of each other, and they're kind of it's hard to describe, but they kind of got this look on their face, you know. <laughs> and Jack's face is all scrunched up into his neck. I mean, you don't see superheroes doing that, you know. Yeah. It's like you know all the folds of his skin and things like that. I mean, I you know I just really appreciate that. The coloring again throughout this whole issue. David's the only one that's in color. color, and Jack even acknowledges that. So it's that's the way he's seeing it too. Like mm-hmm. he, everything's in grayscale. He knows it is, except David. Right. He's in red and green, and and it has a costume on. But you know, so their relationship is it's probably one of the most realistic in comics. I mean, they love each other, but they really sometimes don't like each other. They, right. You know, I mean. As much as it hurts to say this, I mean, it is one of those cases that just because somebody is related to you doesn't always mean that you like each other. Right. There's sometimes, you know, there's just, it's the truth. Yeah, there's sometimes you just don't. Yeah. <laughs> and there's things you just don't understand about that person, you know, and, and you're coming from two entirely different places. And and the fact that that Jack took after his mother and was artistic and and very spirited and, and whereas David... He took after his dad, but even beyond that, tried to be his dad. Right. He was so caught up with trying to be exactly the same as his dad that he he regrets that now. You know, and he he feels like that. You know, Jack he envied him because he was his own man. You know, he forged his own path, and 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 now he's forging his own path as Starman. And David's, he's gotten, you know, just from what we know of him, he's gotten far more introspective in death than he was in life, which is a lot like a Charles Dickens character, like a Jacob Marley. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and Robinson's big on Dickens, which we'll see throughout yeah. the series. So, uh, you know, he even says something about he's got to do, he's got to go off and do the things that he didn't do, you know, when he was alive, which right. is, you know, basically what Jacob Marley did. I mean, it was a little, obviously, more grim because he was, you know, wore the chain he forged in life, life. Right. but but uh it, you know it, it's it's definitely he's grown as a character because he's dead when david turns into a corpse it is it's really shocking and disturbing especially in the days before you know comics were so gory and you know there was zombies in every comic and and everything but then he you know turns back and says psych and headbutts yeah, his, his brother headbutts yeah. his brother and they really tear that cemetery up. I mean, there's caskets opened up and holes in the ground. I mean, just, I mean, which you're not really sure, like they in the real physical world, or you know, I mean, here you don't really know, and I'm not going to tell you, but mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's it's kind of oh man, it's like they really <laughs> tore up cemetery. When you really think about it, that's like oh, that's. But they, you know, they do the best they can to fix it. But uh, you know, again, this is you know, this is one of those where you really just have to experience it for yourself we can talk about it all day long but until you read it you're not going to appreciate it and come away with your own take on it because the synopsis is pretty short you know basically they meet in the cemetery they argue they fight they kind of bury the hatchet and and then david flies off and say see i'll see you next year yeah i mean that's the that's the short you know version of it because they don't explain it or anything so so that was kind of a short synopsis and a short coverage but again there's really not there's not much more to say about it until you read it. Mm-hmm. So, well, we'll take another break, run another trailer, and then we'll come back and discuss Starman number six. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. 
I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Wonder Woman! Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, now we're back, and we're going to talk about Starman number six, uh, which was dated April 1995, and according to Mike's Amazing World, it was on sale February 21st, 1995. The cover by Tony Harris, again, shows the shade pulling back a curtain with ghostly tortured images behind it and journal pages flying outward and upward. The story is called 1882, Backstage, Back Then, A Tale of Times Past. Writer James Robinson, here's a big list of artists, layouts Teddy H. Christensen, pencils Teddy H. Christensen, Christian Hodgegaard, Jane, Jane Hansen, I'm probably butchering these names, Kim Hagen, letterer, letterers John Workman, Bob Pinnah, Ken Bruzenak, Colorist Gregory Wright, assistant editor Chuck Kim, editor Archie Goodman. On a snowy night in Opal City, Jack Knight begins reading the Shade's journal. The entry tells of the Shade meeting his friend and author Oscar Wilde on a trip to the United States in Opal City sometime in 1882. They talk of how Shade was also acquaintances of Charles Dickens and Hans Christian Andersen. Wilde confesses he has met another immortal like the Shade, but the two are interrupted by a blonde young man named Jason Mayville. It seems Mayville's 16-year-old sister Annette has come under the thrall of a man named Loon, a mesmerist in a traveling theater outfit called the Pepper Troop. Jason is convinced his sister's will is being bent by Loon, who is forcing her to give her half of their family fortune over to the much older man. She's 16, he's 40. The Shade offers to take the job of sending Loon away from Opal City for a small monetary fee and a secondary price he will tell of later. Despite not knowing what he may ask for, Mayville agrees, and the Shade takes the job. Mr. Black, as he is known, takes in the Pepper Troop show, which he finds rather gaudy. Loon does not take the stage that night, so the Shade slips into the shadows and backstage. He confronts Loon, who calls a clearly mind-controlled Annette to his side. The Shade commands Loon to leave town, but the large man has other ideas. He calls for members of the troop to come to his aid, people he will share his new fortune with. The Shade releases his shadow demons on the troop, killing them all. Loon flees with Annette, but the Shade follows. Loon fires a pistol at point-blank range at the Shade's test, but it does nothing. The two fight with swords, and the Shade runs him through, his lifeless body falling from the catwalk to a huge devil head prop below. Later, the Shade and Wilde reconvene, and Shade reports he asked for a rose from one of Mayville's bushes for his payment. That and 10% of their fortune. Shade offers to pick up the tab if Wilde will tell him of the other immortal he met. As Jack Knight turns to read that page of the journal, he finds it missing. He figures, maybe I'd rather not know.
So this is the first of many times past interludes throughout mm-hmm. the series. Uh, some focus on the shade, some are on Ted, and then some on other characters that we'll meet as we go along. It's it's a really great device for expanding the world of Starman, and I'm sure it gave Tony Harris time to take a break. Right, right. <laughs> you know, in between issues. So it was, it was, and usually, I mean, they never feel like fill-ins because they always, there's elements of them that always come back. Uh-huh. Uh, and we we'll get the we get the shades journal in the in the back pages sometimes too, as as Jack you know we read along with it as Jack does. The art fits this story, but it's not my cup of tea. Mine either. I mean, it does fit the story. It sets that tone that sepia. T- yeah, look, that Victoria you know? like yeah. It does, but I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah, I mean, me myself. I'm not either. Uh, I was never a fan of. Of Christensen or, or particularly artists like him, but I can appreciate that it works. Right, right. I mean, it evokes the time period yeah. very well. Yeah. If I hadn't read the credits for this podcast, I'd assume that it was Christensen throughout, but it's not. But of course, he did the layout, so they're kind of following his what he had laid out anyway. But like we said, we get a Dickens reference uh, with Shade saying the author based a character on him. I, I think we learn which character that is later, so we'll leave that for later. Oh, okay. I, okay. I'm pretty sure they, they get into that. Wall's running with the immortals would apparently influence his work, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Right. It makes you wonder why Shade tore that one page out. What does he care if Jack finds out? I think that ties into the Shade's origin that we get to later. Mm. And that comes later on in the series again. Which I feel really bad. We're saying we're not going to tell you what this is yet, but but we really, you know, we really want this. Here, here's a little peek behind the curtain, but nah, never mind. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we really want people. You know, I've heard several people say that they were going to get the trades, or they got the trades, or they dug out their comics to right, read along, right. and, and that's, I'm kind of hoping that's what people will do. And I don't want to spoil ahead too much. Plus, it's been a while since I've read the series through, and I have, you know. In my head, I'm like, well, I think they do this later, but I'm not 100% sure. Right, right. And I don't want to read ahead too much because I want it to be fresh as we talk about right, it. Right, exactly. So I'm just reading it as, and we're reading it as we read these, you know, before the show and we take notes and everything. <laughs> Rob, Robinson not so subtly hints at uh, wild sexual orientation <laughs> with him eyeing the, the young, young May- Mayville. Mayville, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of interesting. The Mayville fortune partially explains why the Shade seems to be independently wealthy. Right. Uh, and I think that does come up later. I think, I don't think, I don't think they reappear, but I think that connection comes up later, if I remember right. See, I wonder what happens to the Mayvilles, because you have to think, this is in, I mean, this was just a sidebar that I thought was interesting. But what happens to Annette Mayville? Because she obviously was intimate with this loon fella. Right. And, I mean, it shows her in her chimsy and, you know, her night clothes and stuff. And right. they've obviously been intimate. In 1882? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what kind of reception is she going to receive later? Well, they probably had enough money to sweep that under the table, though. Well, that's true. You that's know, true. they probably, and I don't know how much it got around that, you know, but... You know, there might have been whispers of things, but they probably wouldn't say a whole lot against them because they apparently own a good chunk of Opal City, Opal City yeah. as as it was developing. So, so there you go. But uh, yeah, this you know the 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 times past in the future, like I think the next time past is a particular favorite of mine because you get you get to see the JSA and 
you you get a lot quite a bit of Ted in the times past as Starman, which is cool. Uh, and it, it helps flesh him out. I mean, obviously he had golden age adventures and, but beyond that, we didn't see a lot of him outside of JLA JSA crossover. Right. He was never one of the characters that was heavily featured when they revived all-star comics or anything like that. He just showed up occasionally. So it was kind of the first time we got a real chance to see him in a modern interpretation, you know, his golden age adventures. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that. But uh, you got any more on this one? No, sir. No, I mean, I feel kind of bad because <laughs> this this went by really quick. But, I mean, it's just like we said. It, I mean, these issues are... And, and, and each one of them, while they are done in ones, they also provide one little piece of something that you'll see later. Right. So keep that in mind. I mean, yes, while they are done in ones, which I'm appreciative of, by the same token, they do each provide one small block of a later foundation. Right, right, definitely. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that that this series, I mean, it's it's so, because basically James Robinson was allowed to do what he wanted and everybody pretty much stayed out of his way and he very rarely had to tie into the DC universe. And even when he did, like the crossovers that come along, he he did, but he I mean he was able to work it out that it didn't interrupt the story. I mean, if you didn't read Underworld Unleashed and you didn't read Genesis, which God, why would you ever want to read that turd? But that's got <laughs> that's got to be the worst DC. What's cross- the one where they were turned into kids? That's Sins of Youth. Okay. Cause- yeah. That I don't know if that was does that actually cross over into the book? I know they did something with it. And I know that Jack was in it, mm-hmm. and but I don't know if it ever affected the Starman book. I don't think it did, because it was kind of an odd. That was a, it toward the end of the series, and an odd time where the storylines were too. He was in too deep into the storylines to to go outside of them mm-hmm. as he was, you know, barreling toward the end. Uh, but he actually, you know, I mean, there's there's a few issues that just flipping through them and, and looking online that, that have the banner of, you know, like Genesis crossover and Underworld Unleashed crossover. But really, they don't they don't muck up Starman like they do some other mm-hmm. comics. You know, it's they, they really did give him, uh, I think they gave him a wide berth, which is which is good. I mean, I think that's one reason why it's, and, and, and I, this is nothing against Tony Harris, who's very, you know, very much the co-creator of this book and, and, he stays with it for a good long while, although there's quite a few fill-ins, especially in the times past and things. But you do get the impression that the, the, it's a singular vision in a way that it's unusual that you get that in superhero comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, from beginning to end, which we talked about last time. And that's what's so satisfying about it is you don't get invested in it. Twelve issues in, you got a new writer right, that's right. like got a totally different take on these characters and thinks he's got to throw the baby out with the bathwater and... And take him in different directions and give him his own spin and all that stuff, which is, you know, that's common. I mean, that's oh, yeah, that's yeah. common. That's always been, I mean, in, in modern comics, that's been common. Nowadays, it's like, you know, you know, new status quo and six issues later, that writer's gone, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but you don't get that here, which is which is great. Very refreshing, especially looking backwards at it from, from today's comics. But, uh that's uh, I think that's all we got this time. Um, 
we'd like some emails, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, send us emails, comments, this episode. If you've been listening to the old episodes and, and just found the show, we don't care. We'll talk about old episodes, well, you know, yeah, sure. uh, you know, send, uh, you can send us an email. You can drop us a comment on the blog. Uh, the email is supermatespodcast at gmail.com. The blog page is supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Some iTunes reviews would be great. If you like the show, leave us a review. That apparently helps, you know, helps us out and helps us pop up in iTunes searches uh, better, you know, more frequently. You know, got to pay attention to the algorithm. Right, exactly. You know, if, if you like the show, please, you know, and tell, tell other people about it. You know, if... if uh, you know, I'm again, like I said last time, I'm not much up on hashtags and all that stuff. But, but uh, you know, if you want to tweet and retweet and all that stuff, go tweet yourself till you're blue in the face. You know, <laughs> I mean, and use your cosmic rod while you do it. <laughs> nice. Yes. Hashtag cosmic rod. No, I don't know. That's not. I'm just kidding. Uh, but speaking of which, if especially ha- speaking of hashtags. Uh, since we recorded our Conway crossover episode, there have been lots of other ones that have come out. So if you haven't checked those out, uh, I read the laundry list of, of everyone. And I don't think anybody added on since I read that list. So I think we're good, but it's hashtag Conway X over and you can find it that way. Or you can go to our notes and find a link on our blog page that has a link to each of the shows. And uh, they'll take you to the show's homepage, and then you can find the Conway crossover uh, episode there. And uh, so that's all we got for now. Uh, what are we going to do next time? Do you want to do the thing you were wanting to do? That's entirely up to you. Okay, well, we'll do that next time then. Because Cindy's like, I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, that's what <laughs> So next time, there's a new comic Cindy picked up just yesterday. It was a digital first comic, but now it's in print. And that is... Wonder Woman 77, Linda Carter. Right. And much like the Batman 66 series, this is set in the universe of the Wonder Woman TV show, the 70s era episodes. And because of that, we're going to talk about the first episode of the 70s version of the series when it switched from World War II to modern, air quotes, modern times. <laughs> modern times at like, the time. I was like, honey, you need to tell them. <laughs> modern times at the time. And we're going to talk about that episode in this comic. Um, so that ought to be fun. And it'll kind of harken back a little bit to the episode we did with Gene. Right. In more ways than one. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. So, so, so thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners. And we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. Mm-hmm.